What's going on, guys? AJ here, back again with another episode of the E1B2 podcast. And I know I've said this probably now 15 or 20 times, but I think I actually mean it this time. This episode, this exact episode that you're about to listen to, all of the 55 plus minutes of this episode, I guarantee is the best episode that has ever been recorded on the E1B2 podcast. Zach, I love you. You're an amazing brother. The, the, the value you're able to bring to the world of work is undeniable. And I appreciate you so much. Listeners, downloaders, audience, I want you guys to truly listen closely around what matters in the world of work, what matters to employees, what matters to brands, what employees look for out of brands, how you really can impact those that work for your organization. I want every single person, whether you're a founder, whether you're an executive, whether you're a people leader, whether you're an employee, whether you're a manager, if you are a human being walking this earth, I want you to listen very closely to this episode and this podcast because I can assure you there are so many gems, so much value in this episode you will not I just lost my train of thought. You will not be disappointed. There it is. You will not be disappointed. Um, I'm looking forward to you guys listening to this episode. We touched on a lot of things. We talked about COVID-19. We talked about mattering in the world of work. We talked about employee experience. We talked about how you can truly show your employees that they matter and how much you care about them and love them and respect them and want to and find different ways to utilize them in effective ways. We talked about salary. We talked about a lot of different components of the world of work that I think Every single brand really needs, really needs to listen to right now doing the hysteria, doing the mess of this world. It was a pleasure catching up with my dear friend, Zach. I want you guys to enjoy this episode. I want you guys to listen to the very end because Zach dropped a bunch of gems for you guys to be able to go and check out what he's doing a little bit further. So again, thank you guys so much. I am uh, super blessed, super honored for you guys to even be listening to one episode, let alone the 200 plus episodes that I have. So enjoy today's episode. I know for a fact you will. I really appreciate you coming on today um, and getting to kind of hear a little bit more about what I've been up to um, since the last time we talked. You are, for anyone that's listening that uh, is a a new listener here, Zach was on the podcast. I think we said, realistically, probably let's call it like maybe seven to eight months ago. Um, A year might be a little bit of a stretch, but it it was a while ago. And um, he he talked about a lot of great things. It was actually one of the, the most downloaded podcasts of this date, as well as um, I, I think it was a really solid conversation. I don't know if you ever got a chance to go back and play it, but um, there were some um, there were some good thoughts and and, and and themes there. So if you guys want to check that out, please do. But um, yes, yeah, so please tell uh, tell us again who you are and uh, you know what, what you're about and what you are building, what you have already built in your life and what you're working on, and and just kind of give me and everyone else an update on, on who Zach is and what you're trying to bring to the world. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Again, I, I went back and listened to that episode actually last week uh, just to prep for our conversation today. And I think one of the things that stuck out to me was that this idea of experiencing meaningfulness in work is something that A, is critical, and then B, is, is something that leaders can learn how to do as a skill that leaders can learn how to facilitate the experience of purpose and meaningfulness for people in their work. And, and so that skill of teaching leaders how to create environments where people feel like they can contribute, where they feel like they have value, where they feel like they're, they matter is that's what, that's what I'm doing right now is making all of that practical. And so, um, I split my time. I do research in the Center for Meaning and Purpose at Colorado State University in the Department of Psychology, and I teach positive organizational psychology. But then I'm also doing consulting and training and writing around the experience of positive meaning in work. And I I feel like it's, I feel like A, it's essential right now, and B, it's going to be critical coming out of our current global situation. I was going to say, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the work that you do 
it really must be, it was, it was for me and, and for so many others, it was always super impactful work, but I can only assume that, you know, the, the, the events that have transpired over the last, let's call it four months here, is it a positive or negative effect on your business? My gut would tell me a, a, a positive. Uh, what's, what's been happening as it pertains to your business in correlation to COVID-19? their jobs and their lives, right? So to understand, you know, what, what is my purpose? What are the things I like doing? Uh, what do I like about being quarantined that I liked, like better than being in the office or doing work with the people I do them with? And there's research that, early research that indicates that's going on. The second thing, though, is that you have all these essential workers, right? The people, the frontline workers that make up the most the largest percentage of our, of our workforce and the people that ensure everyone else can stay home, you see those people getting all of a sudden this public praise that's now contrasted with the value they experience from their employers. So you have that going on. And then the third thing you have going on is you have people who lost their jobs and who are looking for work uh, in the millions, the tens of millions. Mm -hmm. And what we know from past recessions is that when people and from the second industrial revolution and the great depression is that when people lose their ability to contribute, despair can follow. And I think all of those things are coming together to produce this bigger meaning deficit that I think we're going to be seeing. And that has led to more awareness of uh, my work, I think, and need for it. Um, but I'm, I am having all of the struggles that every business is having right now. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, with the work that you do, I'm assuming, you know, their ancillary cash may or may not be on pause for a bit or a little bit less than traditionally, no? Oh, yeah, definitely on pause. Um, you know, and that's why I've been doing a lot more research and writing and just more one-off coaching for leaders who are really struggling with this right now and individuals who are struggling with this right now versus sort of the more large group, uh, group things. But recently, I mean, there's been a clear need for the skills of organizations to reskill their leaders, to enable that everyone knows that they matter and how they matter, which is the core of meaningfulness, which is the core of what's going to address that meaning deficit that I described earlier, in my opinion. Now, 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 let me ask you that, because that's interesting, right? So, and this is a, a super authentic question that I'm asking, probably selfishly. Um, I was, yeah. I, had a, I had a coaching call this morning around DE&I, um, and mm. because I'm, I'm looking to, and, and again, you, Zach, you know this. I told you when I, when I first met you, like, I am a research, uh, you know, uh, education junkie. Like, I want to learn as much as yeah. I can about this this world, because, I'm a bit of a hybrid, right? I spent the first five, six years of my career really deep into entrepreneurship. And then I'm now kind of spending the last four or five years really deep into this side of the, the side of the pond here. So um, as, as I've gotten into the work, what's been consistent for me, which is a good thing is I'm not the greatest person when it comes to like the exact names or the frameworks or the tools mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. the, you know, but my gut, my intuition, my, my natural, my natural decisions that I make have always been pure and, and always been great. And, and, mm. and I've always been frustrated when I hear that we have to reskill or upskill our leaders to adopt things that for me have come so naturally. So in the work that you're seeing, have you noticed that when you're doing your consulting work and you're working with a leader, there are principles and frameworks that you can teach them. Have you found, and you don't, please don't say anyone directly. I don't think that'd be good for you, but you know, have you found potentially any moments where they were just, you know, regurgitating and pretty much, you know, you know, mentally kind of keeping a track of what you were saying and kind of understanding how to implement that rather than naturally wanting to do it and naturally understanding the benefits and naturally wanting to try to add value from that left from that lens and, and become a better leader. 
like kind of just memorizing things like is is that an issue or is that just me being uh pardon my french but maybe an asshole from the sidelines here like like what a what's no your that's a great question that's a great question all behavioral change real sustainable behavioral change has to originate with belief change so if the underlying beliefs if what people assume to be true remain steady it doesn't matter like I, I use this metaphor all the time. It doesn't matter if you slap a new coat of paint on an old wall if you didn't scrape the old paint off underneath. Eventually, that paint will peel through. Eventually, beliefs will show through. And just the act of doing something, if you teach someone just the act, is futile. So I think the first thing that we have to do if we want new behaviors is to get people to understand their held beliefs, what they believe to be true, and what's the potential new belief that they would need uh, to adopt. For example, I've been, you mentioned, um, you know, diversity and inclusion initiatives and, and your coaching call. And I've been really interested in this in the sense that um, I found that people actually don't know how to make someone feel like they matter. I mean, like they don't, they know what I mean by that is they know how intuitively, like you said, but they forget it when they go to work or when they're supervising somebody or when they have to get something done or when there's an outcome or a product at stake or a goal. Um, and those, those things can take over and people forget. I mean, this is why, you know, for decades, loneliness has been incredibly high in the workforce you see uh, people experiencing meaninglessness and disengagement. Uh, I mean, I think the majority of people in the workplace feel underappreciated. So I agree with you that this idea, like some of this stuff, right, it's common sense. But the problem is, is that common sense isn't always common practice. And I actually fear that the more common sense something is, like, yeah, we should show people how they matter, the less it becomes an actual tangible practice and habit. And so you have to change the beliefs, but then you also have to change behaviors and habits and learn what behaviors and habits will elicit the outcome you want, which is, for me in work, it's mattering, the everyday experience of mattering. If we do that at an individual level, the system will start to evolve, in my opinion. So that's fascinating, and I agree. What are your thoughts on this, though? So my mother, right, my mother is the type of person that she tends to not care how you get to the finish line, just get to the finish line. So she is a fan of, I don't care why a leader's doing it. As long as it's impacting the people positively, she's okay. Mm, right, right. She doesn't right. care why they're doing it. I'm a little bit different. Mm. I'm a little bit different. <laughs> I, I'm, it irritates me, if, and that's me being polite, when I see a leader hire someone like you, I see a CEO hire someone like you to work with their team of, let's call it, 15 managers just to check yeah. the box. And then those 15 managers are just going through the frameworks and the systems that you may, may be able to give them. How mm -hmm. does that sit with you knowing that the employees that are inevitably going to be getting some sort of a, some sort of a positive, you know, you know, element of what, of what they deserve, right? Because inevitably there are going to be new, new best practices and new behaviors kind of, you know, trickling down to them. But inevitably, you know, the, the leaders and the managers, they don't actually care about these things potentially. They're just doing it because it's a checking of the box and it's, it's what's hot right now and, and it's what's important. Does that, does that bother you at all as a consultant or do you kind of just feel good knowing that inevitably it's going to affect and impact the people that it needs to impact and affect? Well, I think we talked last time. I mean, my research and interest in the, all of this, I, I start – if I'm going to, I very rarely go into an organization and talk just to the leaders and not to the front line as That's well. That's true. That's true. Because you can't just do one or the other. I mean, I've had some, I mean, I've had some, I'll be honest with you. Of course I've done sessions that a leader, a leadership group will hire me to stimulate their people and they'll have all these new ideas and practices and then they won't do anything with them. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it, it has to result in long-term habit change and there has to be that infrastructure involved. But I will say that I do side with your mother a little bit in the sense of if it makes human beings lives better, that's the, you know, I'm going to go there, right? 
what I know is that even though, even now where I disagree with your mother, I know this is a, that's a very, I don't air that to her. Mom, where, I disagree with, <laughs> yeah, where I disagree with your mother is that if it won't be as long, something will come along that will challenge this habit and that it'll, it'll be very tenuous. Because the old beliefs are there. You'll just sink back into your old behaviors. And so longstanding change, I think you do have to interrogate beliefs. Does it always happen? No. Do I feel good about it? No. I think there's a huge gap between stimulation and transformation. Um, and I think a lot of consultants and a lot of thought leaders, quote unquote thought leaders, are uh, selling stimulation and transformation. And I would even go further and I'd say that we need fewer thought leaders and more practice leaders, people who are actually doing it and informing quote unquote thought leaders. Exactly. And I, and I said somewhere in the middle as well, you know, I'll give you an incredibly perfect example and then we'll move on a bit here. Um, Cause I do want to see, I do want to ask you more of an entrepreneurial question about how this has impacted sure. you. Um, this is going to, this is going to blow your mind, Zach, or maybe, or maybe it won't, maybe it won't, maybe, you know, because you've been <laughs> in this, you've been in this life a little bit longer than I have. Um, you've been around the block here a bit. So um, I was offered, and, and when I say offered, that's that's a strong word, right? There wasn't an official offer letter sent. I was I was asked in, in, to be strongly considered for a uh, diversity and inclusion um, officer role. So I was going to be so at the at the executive hmm. level, I was going to be stewarding the entire initiative. Wow, um, you know what's going on in this world um, around race and. Mm-hmm. The person that told me about the opportunity, I love dearly, and I know it came from a good place. But I know where it inevitably came from on the other side of the table, I'm not sure was a super authentic place. Mm. I, Zach, you know me a bit. My background, nowhere near, nowhere in my background is there deep practice around frameworks and around best practices of diversity and inclusion. I have opinions. I have perspectives. I have high-level things that I've done. There are, there are things that I've implemented that you could probably massage and finesse into that bucket, but it rubbed me the wrong way knowing that just because of my skin color, just because mm. of where I come from, I was offered a very hefty salary position to make a big impact on a company because of that without any... And I'm sure they were going to do their due diligence... But if I'm running a company, I, I'm not. I'm not making that call just because of the skin, the color of your skin. I'm not doing that. I'm, you know, so, mm. you know, kind of going back to the same themes that we were talking about. I felt that it was a checking of the box, without truly at a very authentic level, wanting to number one understand what's happening right now in the world and how does that affect my company, and number two, making sure that I'm picking the best person for the job no matter what color they are, no matter what situation occurs, making sure their background really reflects and implements what I need for my people because I genuinely care at a real level. And so that for mm. me was just another example of you're just checking it to check it. There's no super big, deep thought into this. You're just trying to find the closest African-American that you can find to, to plug in the gaps of this role to say that you did it for your board. And that didn't sit with me well. Now, my mother, of course, as I'm sure you can assume, she said the, the impact, she's like, get in there and make a change. Get in there and do some good work. And I said, well, mom, first of all, you know I'm not really an employee right now, but even beyond that, I'm not taking the opportunity. I'm not even going to consider it. You know. So hmm. when I say all that, how, how, does it, how does it hit you? Well, I'm going to, I mean, I'll take it from the, from the perspective of when I hear just your example of the company doing that. And it goes back to something that is really foundationally a barrier to meaningful change culturally, mm-hmm. organizational culture or societally from a culture perspective. And that's, we try to change symbols and think it's going to create long lasting change. Or we try to change what we espouse we value. So what we say we value, which becomes a symbol, and we think that's going to enact change. Those things, like from my work on culture, for example, 
those are artifacts. Those are symbols. Those are above the surface kind of things. You know, it's the old iceberg model. The spouse values, that's above the sur surface stuff. But the below the iceberg is those, I'm going to go back to it again, those beliefs, those underlying assumptions. What do I assume to be true? I would rather that company spend more time understanding how they came to need a diversity and inclusion officer. <laughs> yep. What patterns of behavior and inherent beliefs led to that, to them being there and spend that time and money doing that and then engage in a robust search. That's the work that's going to change things. Um, being able to name beliefs and in order to change anything, you have to be able to name it. So you can, again, just slapping a position on a company doesn't change culture. It may. Now, I'm going to say, like, you probably could have gone in there and got into the belief stuff, got into the espoused value stuff. And I know the power. I don't know personally because I haven't lived that experience. But I've read about the power of representation in inclusion efforts. So there, that's there. That's valid. But I worry about really understanding the underlying beliefs. Um, and I, I think that's where it has to start. This stuff has to start there. I agree, and uh, I want to I want to move on because I was actually going to say something else because this this situation does does bother me a bit. So uh, I will refrain from from saying anything else. But yes, I do agree. <laughs> okay. um, <Yes>. I, uh, <laughs> that opportunity is no longer here. They've they've moved on. And, yeah, uh, yeah. But yes, I, I think I think to put a bow in it, I think the work that they should have done and that. And, and and let's call it what it is, Zach. You 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 know that's not the first company that did that. You know, there's this. Oh no, there's been nope. millions of dollars of salaries being spent over the last let's call it six weeks on diversity and inclusion officers that never would have been spent before if this initiative if this situation didn't happen. Um, mm. And so that's a whole another conversation, but we can move on from that. Uh, Tell me. Tell I me think. I mean, and we can move. We can move on from that. But I think again, it's a really right. good lesson for people listening, yeah, especially please, leaders please. listening, that when you change a symbol without changing the belief that underlies why the symbol exists in the first place, you haven't changed anything. You haven't changed anything. That is very well said. Zach. That's that's the key lead. That's the key leadership lesson in all of this. It should. If you be. change a symbol without changing the belief that made the symbol possible, you haven't changed anything. And the, the problem, the yeah. problem is the belief stuff is hard. It's hard work to do that work. And um, we got to make just like, you know, if you go online on YouTube, cat videos are the most popular video on YouTube, not serious discussions and debates. We have to be able to make that work appeal to people who are ready to do it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we can. I know you wanted to move on, but I just no. wanted to say that. No, I was actually going to stick on it just for another maybe 12 seconds. I was actually going to ask you one question. <laughs> um, <laughs> from your experience, because I think, I think you are good at this, be able to answer this question, because like you said, you don't just work with the leaders. You also work with the employees and like to actually have conversations and interactions with them. One of the main mm. reasons why I didn't take it is let's go to – the name of my company now. Let me get. Let me do a quick plug. The E1B2 Collective. Let me do that real quick. And then, if you go to the podcast E1B2 Employees First, my heart always lies with the employee. Not you know that's yeah, where yeah. my heart always lies. Yeah. And so another reason why I didn't take the opportunity is because I knew there would be seven to fourteen percent, and I have no idea how I came up with those numbers. Let's just I'm just pulling them out of thin air. There would have been a small to medium size of the staff that would have scratched their heads and questioned the true <laughs> perspectives and the true desires and, and, and the beliefs and everything that you just talked about, they would have questioned that, which would have potentially backfired, not just on me, but backfired on the, the overall perception of the brand, the day-to-day -day workflow, the overall productivity. I mean, what are your thoughts, as, since you have experience kind of working with employees and kind of unpacking what they're thinking and, and their perspectives, how do you think that could have backfired? Or yeah, and I would have, have backfired. So, so this is, and I don't know, and it's all speculative, right? But we can only we can only talk about it in, in lessons for leaders listening right now. 
And the lesson is, is that to understand what these things mean to your people. If you're, if you're doing a diversity and inclusion initiative and you don't understand what inclusion means to the people that you're trying to include, then, um, again, you're, 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 you're starting off on the, on the wrong foot. And so I think that in the process, people, and I don't know if they were, should, should be involved in that process, in, in who this person is, not just who they should be in terms of a demographic profile, but like what this person should believe, uh, what experience they should have. And I hope that they were, but I think, yeah, it's absolutely essential. It's so funny how often I hear leaders say, oh, you know, the employees think this, like the employees. And I often tell, ask leaders, I was like, are you, I often say, are you not an employee? And so there is this othering that goes on and great leaders make sure that they recognize that they're an employee and they talk to their employees and understand what these things mean to them before trying to predict or, or prescribe what it means to the whole company. That's a good point, Zach. Let's get a little granular here. Operationally, what would that look like, right? Now, I'm assuming there will be a survey. Yep. You know, that If you're a bigger company, let's call it 150 employees and up, that would probably be a survey. If you're 40, 50 people, that might be one-on-one meetings for 15 or 20 minutes. What would that look like to actually have conversation with your employees to thoughtfully unpack what they're feeling and what they would inevitably want out of that role? And, and how do you really sit down with that data and make the, the, the final decision around what personally and selfishly you have as a CEO or a CTO or a COO or a general manager, like what your desire is versus what the data says, how do you blend the two perspectives together and inevitably come out with something that is productive for all? Yeah. I mean, that's a huge question, right? If I had the, the answer to that question, <laughs> who knows where I'd be exactly. right now, right? I don't think there is one, one the answer, but there is an important difference between a prescriptive action in a company and a generative action in a company. Oftentimes leaders prescribe things. I'll use the example of like organizational identity. When someone's coming to me and they're like, Zach, I want to create a uh, purpose, mission, vision, values, right? What often happens, and I'm using this as an analogy to what you're talking about, mm -hmm. but often the leadership teams gets together and they say, here's what we value and let's prescribe it to someone else. Well, I mean, the best medicine tastes like poison if you're forced to take it, right? Mm -hmm. And prescriptive anything doesn't work. But the flip side is to have a generative process. So if you want to create an organizational identity, for example, say you wanted to create values, asking your people, and you could do this via survey, what are the values that guide your everyday work? If you wanted to create a purpose, why do you think this company exists? And then you take that data and make sure that what's ever created is, considers that data and incorporates that data so people can see themselves in that bigger identity. So there's a couple of ways to do that. I think the first way to do generative work in an organization with regard to these things would be to make sure your leaders, and I call them frontline direct supervisors and their supervisors, are equipped to have the conversations. Anthony, these conversations happen. These conversations are prepared for mm -hmm. five years before they happen, hmm. right? Like what I mean by that is that if you're not cultivating psychological safety, if you're not cultivating an environment where people feel comfortable giving their opinions, if you're not facilitating meaningfulness, people don't have a belief that it matters. If you're, not if you're not communicating with people, giving them the resources they need to do their jobs, right? If, you're not, if you haven't been doing all that, and then all of a sudden you try to come in and have a conversation or you're trying to get people's ideas on a high-level position, then that's going to be a difficult, a difficult uh, endeavor. It's going to be harder. So I think that I'm making things more complicated right now for a reason, because I think that leaders have to, in the, while they're facilitating these conversations, they have to be learning how to facilitate psychological safety, how to facilitate meaningfulness, all of that stuff all wrapped up into one. And this goes back to our 
whole reskilling conversation, mm-hmm. right? These conversations would be able to happen if people had the skills to facilitate them. So uh, I think the key leaders are important, making sure they have the skills to have those conversations and that they can sort of record that data and, and report up. So I think it can happen in both those ways, surveys and then real conversations between people who trust one another at the team level, hopefully trust one another. And then what hopefully should have been done months prior to any catastrophic situation globally happening would have been what I like to call, and again, this is one of my, I don't even know where this term came from. I call it emotional glue. Hopefully the leaders. Mm, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Hopefully the leaders and managers would have some sort of emotional glue and legitimate real relationship and connections with the employees to be able to have those transparent conversations. So the words actually land at a soft spot. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. These are the moments in which everything we've been talking about around meaningfulness, purpose, engagement, these are the moments in which that matters most. Having that infrastructure matters most. And if I could get leaders to learn one lesson from this is that it's that when you're cultivating these things, you're cultivating a resilient, adaptive organization that has the skills to have these conversations before you need to have them. Um, so, and, and it's hard in our, in our short term instant gratification leadership culture that we're a part of do this. Do I see the result? It's really hard to invest in these things. But I mean, my big mission right now is, is to get people to reflect on this moment, what's happening, and then reflect and know that these moments are going to happen again. These moments in time, whether it be a pandemic, whether it be social um, reform, whatever it be, it's going to happen again. And is, are you investing now in creating a ready organization, a resilient organization? through those things that we talked about. And that's the big question moving forward, I think, for leaders. Speaking of a ready organization, um, let me ask you a a more entrepreneurial question. So um, with with my new initiative here uh, with the E1BG Collective, that's not the time I plugged it. Uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, I'm probably going to do another eight times. Um, there's There's been some new listeners here. So Primarily, I'm working with smaller brands, you know, no employ, you know, 100 employees or less, you know, startups, things of that nature. And so there's been, you know, there's been founders, there's been, you know, other executives that, you know, are not yeah. not plugged into this, you know, traditional employee experience, word of work community that have, that have tuned in to hear a few things. Um, you know, a couple of things that are on my mind. Number one, how have you been responding personally with your business to the situation what 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 do you th- what do you think you need to change moving forward that will that will i guess secure you long term like that, mm. that will that will keep you from feeling something like this happening again as as much as i'm sure you potentially felt it what what, what are you going to do differently moving forward what, how are you going to be reframing your work or, or do you feel like you're kind of in a good place where, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. And, 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 and I'm pretty solid with, with what I have from an offerings perspective and I'm not going to really adjust anything moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm still in the process of understanding and engineering what my response is going to be to all this because I spent the first couple months in reaction mode. Like, what am I going to do? You know, what do I do now? How do I get through this? Right. Mm -hmm. That's reacting. Um, When we react to things, we tend to react on fear. And I did that. I sort of narrowed my attention. I became worse because I was focusing on the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. I did start listening to my own advice and started asking me, what can I contribute right now? Like, what can I really contribute right now? Because that's what I can control. I can't control whether people are going to do virtual events or in-person events or my contracts are going to get canceled. I really can't control that, but I can control like what I'm 
going to contribute. And so my response over the last month or so after moving from that reaction phase to more of a response phase has been to really think about this question, like, and do some self work on what are my strengths and where are those strengths needed? And one of the things that I found, and you and I've talked about this is that I, one of the things I love doing and the things that one of the things that I hope that I'm good at is taking a lot of different research and work on this and turning it into simple frameworks that people can use to learn how to put it into action. Mm -hmm. So taking a lot of research and bringing it down. And so I focused on doing that in response to what's going on now, like with regard to all of what's going on, the, uh, the rising awareness, the rightful awareness of what's going on for people of color in this country. Um, what can I do? That's that big question. You know, a lot of white people like to ask, what can I do? Well, you go back and you think about what do you have to give? And one of those things is, is for example, really, I'm really getting into the tangibles of what does mattering look like? Researching what is mattering? How do you do it? How do you, what is the experience of mattering for human beings? Um, and so that's what I've been focusing on right now is, is where am I most needed right now? And I do trust my work and research on purpose. I do trust that if I continue to do that and focus there, that I'll be able to see the results later on. And so to be honest with you, I'm solely focusing on my contribution right now. And I'll be honest with you, I've made networking connections that I haven't ever made before as a result of that work. Um, I've written more than I've written in a year because of that work, which has actually garnered me a couple of speaking engagements, right? So virtual, of course. So I think that that question like for listeners is we try to figure out what we're going to do, strategize for the next move. But what the world and what the market really wants is your contribution. So I mean, my advice is to double down on that. And I think the results follow. And that's how I've been approaching this. What, what does, with, within your research, because you said you've been doing a lot of yeah, research. Yeah. What, what, what does mattering, what, what is that all about? Unpack that for us. And then. Um, oh, gosh. Why? Well, let me ask you this too. Why? Let me, let me try to get a bit selfish here. So. Yeah speak to if you can if you can you know let's do this if you can speak to so one more time why i really wanted to build the e1b2 collective and i'm, and I'm being but i'm saying i'm being serious with this one now though yeah, yeah yeah honestly why i wanted to build it is because i really wanted to impact the beginning right i wanted mm. to impact okay these startups these small brands inevitably all have goals of being bigger at some point Thus, they want to inevitably work with thousands of people at, one, at some point, you know, employ thousands of people at some point. And I, I want all of them, those human beings, to experience a world of work that truly brings joy to their life. That is important. Mm -hmm. and, and what better way than to start at the beginning stages? They're just getting something going. They're just getting something off the ground. They're still small. I feel like the, you have the opportunity to penetrate. So if you're talking to a startup founder, right, he has a team of 24 or if you're talking to a, a, a small business in, you know, Minnesota or here in Abingdon, Maryland, where I am, and they have a, a small staff of 15 or 20 at a coffee shop or, you know, mm -hmm. at, a, at a local construction, you know, like, like what, what do you say to them around why they should be caring about the research that you're doing as they grow and as they get bigger? Like, see if the, is there any adjustment of the information you would give to them versus, um, a bigger brand and, and then at a macro level, what, what is mattering about it and, and why should <laughs> yeah, these yeah. people even care about it? I'd give them the same advice, whether they're one person or a multinational firm that the experience human beings brains are pretty predictable no matter where they are. <laughs> and so if you if you're an organization that exists on the planet, there are individual human beings that make up your organization. And so when we look at mattering, first of all, the power of mattering, when we mattering is the experience of knowing that you have worth to the world around you, that you have uh, or you are important to the world around you. And when we look at what actually constitutes mattering on an organization level or an individual level, 
there are three things, right? The first is people experience mattering when they feel noticed. So here's an example. Think about the people you interacted with or walk by or talk on Zoom with regularly. Do you know their last name? Do you know if they have kids? Do you know um, what they like to do, what their hobbies are? Are you checking in regularly on their lives, their personal lives, who they are as human beings? Feeling noticed is, is critical. There's been studies done of people that people who don't feel noticed, that they feel invisible, they sense invisible because of the people around them, that when you look at people who have really good mental health outcomes, you look at people who have really don't have good mental health outcomes. One of the prime ways that people diverge on that track is not feeling noticed, the feeling invisible. So no matter what organization you're on, it's a pivotal point. The second is to make sure people know how they're significant. So an organization making sure that an individual coming in has some tools to understand how their strengths are needed in the organization and that the ecosystem around them continues to remind them of what's good about who they already are, not just about who they can become and what they can earn and what career path they can have, right? I mean, I think a better question, so where do you see yourself in five years, is how do you think your strengths can make a difference right now? That's going to have a better health outcome and well-being outcome and probably a better five-year outcome than that question. And the third one is show people that they're needed. So in your organization, like it's, a, it's astounding how many organizations passively make people feel like they're dispensable right? Like whether it's the, the wage of the job, if you're not paying living wages, that shows you the value of a job. If, if, you're in ha if the people are in hazardous work conditions, that shows you the value that's placed on the job. So there's those ways, but show people that they're needed, remind them that they and their tasks are an absolutely vital part of delivering this bigger, bigger mission, vision, whatever that it is that you call it. And those three things, whether it's with the person that you see next individually or as an organization, those three things are really what individually and systemically can promote mattering. Zach, that was amazing. And, and I wanted to interrupt you like six times, but I'm just going to try to remember everything that you said. Let me, let me jump to the very last thing that you said briefly. Sure. I think I, I, think I talked to you about this. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm probably like 250 episodes deep, so I'm trying to make sure exactly <laughs> oh who Oh, my I gosh. Yeah, I've been going crazy. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's okay. It's a lot, though. Um, I appreciate it. But, I, again, I'm trying to remember who I said it to. It may have been you. Did I talk to you about, and I don't even know the term to this day. I, I still never coined a responsible term to it, but I called it kind of like context pay or something of that nature. Was it you that I talked to you about that? I don't think so. Okay. Or maybe so, you did. So maybe, so essentially long story short, the, the, my most recent job, um, one thing that I did is I realized, number one, I, I, I reacted to the context, right? So every, so every company has a different level of, 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 of employees from a societal standpoint, right? So Starbucks typically has what? Starbucks may have, um, uh, you know, a, a former, a former, um, stay-at-home wife that now is deciding to jump back into work. She didn't really have any skills, so she was the, wants to go be a barista, whatever the case is going to be. She, they may have mm -hmm. some older people that are just looking to kind of pass some time by, but the majority of it typically seems to be that 17 to 25-year-old student or someone trying to figure out life still and, and enjoys the environment that still wants to kind of figure things out. I've been a big fan of looking at the context of what your company is typically made of and trying to make sure you dive into their actual life and their world and reflect that in what they're paid. So what I did to my most recent company is, um, is I asked a few simple questions. I built, first of all, I built the emotional glue, the trust and the safety enough for them to have a very transparent conversation around what they actually need to live what their actual responsibilities are in life. So my job, my most recent job, we were primarily in the Baltimore city area. A lot of our staff were males and females that were responsible for a lot of their brothers and sisters because their parents may have been addicted to drugs. Their parents may be dead now. Their parents may be in jail. 
So their overhead was much more than a typical 19-year-old's overhead was. Their overhead was much higher than a typical 24-year-old overhead was. They now have four, five, six, seven little brothers and sisters they have to be responsible for. They have lunches they have to pack. They have clothes they need to buy. They have shoes they need to purchase. They have, they have, they have to have a bigger place to live. They have things going on. And so when I put my entrepreneurial you know, operations hat on, I had very intense but respectable, respectable battles with the, the COO, with you know, uh, the CEO, with, with some of the, the financial people within the organization. And I said, let's really look at, the, uh, look at our margins here. Let's have a very real conversation. Let's, let's try to figure out a way that we can live into their context, understand what they need to make, and try to reflect what we pay these people off of what they actually need. Not what we think they need, not what the research says, not what other companies down the street did, not what some research on LinkedIn said, what our people right now at 3.05 p.m., like what do they actually need in the real moment? And I pushed and I pushed and I pushed and I created this thing called Context Pay where every. Hey guys, I am so, 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 so sorry for the, for the mishap. Let's just call it there. Anchor, I am really trying with you. I love you to death. You've been there for me through thick and thin, but right now uh, you're giving me a little bit of trouble. So you guys probably just heard me cut out randomly. Uh, there was a little bit of a, a dropping of the, of the audio there. I do apologize. We are going to jump right back into the episode. We're talking about context pay. We're talking with Zach. I'm on a roll. I am bringing value. Zach, I'm hopefully hoping that cross my fingers is going to agree with what I'm saying and really like the nuance that I'm bringing to the world of work. So guys, listen to the episode. Enjoy the episode. I'm sorry about the mishap and I will see you guys or you guys will be hearing me soon because I don't see you guys in the podcast. So anyway, enjoy it. Love you. And uh, we'll talk soon. Context pay, right? So um, we, we did that, right? We executed that. Um, we made that happen. And uh, it was very, it was very effective from an operation, like pure business perspective, as well as, as I'm sure you can understand, everyone felt that we, we saw them for who they are and their reality. When I say all that, how does it actually hit you? Like when I say that, is it, am I crazy? Am I, is this a one-off thing that cannot be duplicated in small to medium-sized businesses? Um, I don't think this is duplicatable for big corporations. I don't think this is possible. Um, what's the impact that you think I made? Why do you think I did it? Like based off of the psychology, like if you were to analyze where I was coming from with that, um, and then I don't know, just give your opinion on all of it. Like, of what you yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really easy for nothing to matter to people who don't feel like they matter, right? As a as a person, and so I think that when you are doing something like that, what you're doing is you're actually systemically through a systemic process oriented approach, creating the conditions for mattering. So what I like about the example is I think it's a good example for the audience of when I say cultivate an environment that cultivates mattering, I'm saying this is a good example of a policy, a procedure, a practice as granular and as definable as paying your employees can be done in a way that cultivates mattering. It's a systemic element that does that. And I mean, I think that's the future. I don't think that model necessarily is the future, like you said, for large corporations, but that type of thinking has to be the future. Cause the thinking, and again, and I appreciate the feedback because again, like for me, it, it was for me, what it, what it was, was that cause I spent four weeks just listening, just picking up the context, just paying attention. Mm. And I realized, I was like, I, I remember I said, who came up with $15 an hour? Like, where, where's that coming from? I said, can you guys talk to me about your margins? And, and they were surprised that, that someone in my position, because most of us people leaders, we, they, they coin us, you guys, you guys don't know anything about business. You guys don't know anything about margins. I said, talk to, like, I was like, can I sit in on one, of the, on one of the financial meetings, please? Like, can I sit down and can I really understand what's happening here. 
And Zach, there was room there. There were some margins that could have been that we could be taking advantage of. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so I'm like, who came out with this number? And he said, well, it's pretty competitive yeah. to the market. And I said, it's not helping our people right now. And he's like, how do you know? And I right. Said, I just had 45 one-on-ones over the last four weeks. That's how I know. Right, 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 right. That's an example right there. You said, how do you get information? How do you learn what, how to talk to them? You have to yeah. find ways to talk to them. And when you do, you learn what people actually need, what they actually value, instead of trying to guess at what they do. 100%. Which is, I, I think, so much policy from leaders is based on leaders' best guess of what their people need. But what they don't understand is that what they are, the way they're guessing is based on what they think they need, which is always biased. Yeah. Or, or they're minding the business of the, of the LinkedIn research article or, yeah, the, yes, right, or what right, the business right, down right, the street right. is doing or what exactly. their first manager told them to do. And that's like their mentor. So they're just adopting those principles. Exactly. Exactly. So I, again, I, I, I really appreciate this, Zach. Um, I am so sorry that it cut out. I'm going to listen to this back and make sure that it didn't cut out in a spot that uh, I can't recover. I'm sure I can recover, and I'm going to try to do some um, some patchwork here and try to get this all uh, sounding neat and correct here. Um, I really, I really appreciate you spending the last 45 minutes or so catching back up with me, um, unpacking a few principles, and uh, kind of updating the world on, on on who Zach is and what you're bringing to the world. Um, is there any uh, any plugs you want to give? Give as many as you can, you know, because I know I know you have a lot going on here. So, what what are some plugs? Where can they find you? What are you working on? What do you want to say to the world? Yeah, I mean, if you want to read my latest piece on mattering, you can go to zachmercurio.com backslash blog, and the latest piece is around mattering. My next piece that I'm going to be writing about is going to be around this idea of the meaning deficit and how people can learn to cultivate meaningfulness in work. So you can check that out. You can also subscribe to my newsletter. It's called The Spark, and it's a monthly newsletter. And in it, I provide some simple things. One is usually a quote with some really good context and learning about the person who said it. The second is just a practical, short five-minute read on some of these practices of, of cultivating meaningfulness and purpose in work. And then the final part is really something that you can do or take away, uh, a practice, a tangible try this practice, some purposeful practices and habits that you might be able to try over time. So encourage you to go there. And then my book is called The Invisible Leader, Transform Your Life, Work, and Organization with the Power of Authentic Purpose. So uh, would love to connect with with people there, and then I'm I'm also on social media at Zach Mercurio because I can have that handle because not many people have my first and last name. That is beautiful. <laughs> um, I appreciate this, Zach. I will let you get back to the rest All of right, your day, and um, we will definitely talk soon. Well, thank you, Anthony. Have a good one. You too.